good morning, Creekside. Good to see you all here and good to be here. I am not David Barton, so if you haven't uh, been able to figure that out yet, I'm much better looking. You know, once he, uh, once he shaves his head one day, he'll begin to kind of live up to, to, to this as well. So he, uh, David had surgery this week, had sinus surgery, so I think he's been hearing all the jokes. He got a nose job this week, but... Uh, um, but he's uh, on the mend, but doing well, but not really able to, to preach this morning. So, although, speaking from Joshua, hey, you preached it, brother. You just preached a shorter message for us, so thank you. Well, uh, I won't, last time I preached, I uh, forgot to uh, let the pirate ship kids go, and then pretty soon, I didn't even realize it, and there were kids walking out on me, so uh, I got I to gotta remember that this morning. So everybody help me to, to send them off. So pirate ship kids, go ahead and go. Arg! All right, all right. Uh, well, well, it's good to be here with you all today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Chris. Uh, my wife's name is Nikki. We've got four children, and uh, two of them are grown now. Matthew's in the audience here, and uh, and then we've got two as as well that are still in school. But uh, today we're going to be in Acts four, and so you can go ahead and turn there. But we're going to be in Acts four, and. We're going to see there's a group of believers, a group of people that are following Jesus, and they're going to be uh, just getting together to meet, and they're going to be praying for boldness. Um, you know, when I first came to, to, uh, to Creekside, we've been here for about a year and uh, been partners for about eight months. And one of the things that I was just so impressed with uh, from the day one when I, when I came here is the heart, e e even the passion to see Goose Creek reached for Christ. The, the idea that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to, to hear and respond to the gospel. That, that there, I felt like that there was this, this no place left mentality like Paul had in Romans 15 in David and in other, others around him that says we want to have local ownership of the missionary task to see that everybody has an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. That's, that's a big task in itself. And I began to see that David had had really felt like the Spirit had led him to places like the Myers Road area and Devon Forest. And obviously this is why they're parked right here. They're, they're meeting here so that they can reach this surrounding community. And as we begin to meet in missional communities and, and, and you know, basically cast the vision, let's go out, let's share the gospel, I began to be dis disappointed. Because there, was, there were all these people that were saying we want to go and we want to be on mission, but oftentimes it was about simply just going and doing a good deed. And that's great, and we want to do that. We want to show that Christ loves them. But at the same time, as we begin to go out and we say, we're going to be here on Tuesday night, we're going to be here on Thursday night, no one would show up. No, everyone would say, we want to share the gospel, but no one would actually show up for it. But you know, a couple weeks ago, we, right before Easter, uh, I was just really greatly encouraged to see how God had moved and began to develop our people in the last year. Because we were, we were out there one day, a week before Easter, and we were actually out in the Myers Road area, and I just began to look at these people. Uh, and it was fa whole families out there and children out there together, walking from door to door, knocking on doors, and, and, and saying, hey, you know, we're, we're here to see, do you need any prayer? And beginning to share the gospel. And I'm talking, these weren't extroverts. These were, for the most part, all introverts that were literally having a good time having a good time sharing the gospel, praying, knocking on doors. That's unheard of. And I get, just began to see the boldness 
that was what was there that wasn't there six months ago. But I want to I want to help you understand that this is normal, I, and and I. And I want to tell you that this is normal because I struggle with the same fears. I'll tell you that when David and I started going out, I was actually the first time when he said, hey, man, I want you to go out and show me how to do this and kind of I want to learn from you. I, I told Nikki, I, I, I was in fear. I was in fear, honestly, because it's inherent in all of us to seek comfort, to seek security, to, to say, oh, they probably don't want me to knock on their door. I mean, I'll just go in the area and just kind of say hi, wave from afar, that sort of thing. You know, this is normal. And what I've found is that it's oftentimes not normal for us to be bold. In fact, there's so many times, and David would probably attest to it, that you just don't want to go out. And when you do, you kind of, you kind of you have all these sort of things that are going through your head, well, maybe they, pr- they probably don't. They probably wouldn't answer the door anyway. They probably wouldn't be happy if I did. You know, I'll just pray from, from afar. But, um, you know, you might be asking yourself some of these some same questions. Why am I not bold? You might be asking yourself, maybe if you were a part of that group, maybe you said, why did it take me so long to, to, to develop that boldness? Or you might be asking yourself, which I've actually heard out of a couple of you this week, why was I bold when we went out? In fact, I had an awesome time. I mean, to, to have heard everybody talking about, hey, we got to do this, and our kids were seeing this, and our kids were, you know, checking it off. We got to share the gospel with this person. Everybody needs Jesus. And so they might be asking, you might be asking yourself, why was I bold when we went out, and now I struggle just to share with my coworkers, which I've known for five years? Why do I struggle to be bold? Well, Galatians 5.17 answers this for us. Galatians 5.17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So what we want to do is opposed to what God wants to do in us. And that is to keep us from doing the things that we want to do, and, and so that We won't do the things that God wants us to do. In other words, you and I do what we don't want to do because in the flesh we choose self-interest. We choose comfort. We choose safety. We choose security. So what is boldness? Well, first of all, it's not a personality trait. People usually think it's, well, only extroverts are bold. It's not a personality trait. It's not a personal will or a gumption that you sort of contrive up on your own. Boldness is, and this is just a definition that I, that I really liked, is boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. Let me, let me repeat that. Boldness is acting, so not just speaking, or not, not just saying we would like to act, but actually acting, but not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit on a deep, compelling conviction within us that we must go, in fact, we cannot not go, even though there is a threat before us. I want you to understand it. There, David even mentioned it just a second ago. There's, almost, there's this epic battle going on right now between Jesus and Satan. It's happening right now, literally. Literally, as we are in this room. You are a part of it, whether you want to be or not. You're either on the battlefield or you are on the sidelines. There is a battle for kingship. 
Now, this is a battle that Jesus has already won, but we are in that here, this kingdom is here, but yet not yet finished. And so we are a part of that. So the question is whether we will follow our king into battle to be a part of his plan to win the world for Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, we know it, we sang songs oftentimes as kids, you're a soldier in the Lord's army. You're a soldier in the Lord's army if you're a follower of Jesus. You're sent out to go and conquer and, and take the kingdom to every people and place of this world. You've been given, as we've talked about from 2 Corinthians 5.17, you've been given a new identity if you follow Christ. Your new identity is twofold. You are a new creation. God has done something within you that you could not do by yourself. He has cleaned you. He has made you a righteous and holy vessel now so that God can live within you. You are a new creation. You also are a representative of Christ. This is not, uh, this is not debatable. He says if you are a follower of Christ, you are a new creation and therefore now an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Him. And you have a command to make disciples. So, I'm speaking to you at this moment. You already have marching orders from King Jesus to join the battle. So if you get nothing else out of this message today, I want you to understand this. Battlefield boldness is not natural. It's supernatural. Let me repeat that. Battlefield, going you've been called to go out into the to battle in a part of the Lord's army. Battlefield boldness is not natural. It doesn't come from you. It's supernatural. You know, if you've stepped out into the battlefield and sent shrunk back, you need to pray for God to give you boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you might say, hey, Chris, I've, I've lived a Christian life, but, you know, I've really lived a Christian life of safety and security. I'm not sure I've ever really stepped out into the battlefield. That's okay then you need to pray for God to give you boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same prayer that we're praying right now. And you do so by joining others in prayer for whom battlefield boldness is not natural either. And so we are praying for supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit and going in faith together to share the gospel of Jesus Christ unashamedly together. And in part this happens in our missional communities. We get together to pray together to ask God to give us the, the power of the Holy Spirit, to give us boldness to go. Uh, we, we do it through our gospel conversations trainings that, that we've done two of so far where we get together and we, we, we just practice sharing our faith, sharing our testimony, and then we go out together and kind of do it in safe, safe ways. Um, and we've got a gospel conversations training coming up uh, what, May 11th, May 11th. And I'll, I'll tell you this. We'll do one for you whenever you want. If you want it at your house, if you want it with a group of friends, we'll just come do it. All right? So it's, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till May 11th. Um, and then we do it every week. As, as many of us are going out, we're asking and inviting people, just come with us. Just come and, and go together. Let's share our faith together. And it's just an exciting time to be together as brothers and sisters. So there's the ways that you can do that. So just remember the message today. Battlefield boldness is not natural, it's supernatural. So let us pray. God, we just uh, come to you, and Lord, we're uh, so often um, 
want to be um, want to be your servants, want to be faithful. And we'll talk about how we want to be bold. We'll talk about how we want to share with our family. We'll talk about how we've got friends and, and colleagues around us that are without Christ, and yet we fail to do so. I fail to do so. And so, Lord, we need you. It is not natural for us to be bold to proclaim the gospel. And so we need, we, we want to abide in your love, and out of the overflow of the heart, we're asking you to fill us with boldness and, and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to go and to proclaim the gospel no matter what comes at us. So, Lord, we pray that as a church we would be bold. We pray that as, a, as individuals, Lord, that are abiding in you, you would begin to bear much fruit through us. And I just pray today, Lord, as we walk into Acts 4, Lord, that we would be faithful to your holy scriptures. Thank you for giving us your word, that you speak to us, that you don't just leave us here, but you speak to us, you care about us, and when we pray, you hear us. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we pick up in this prayer meeting. If you just go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going to be starting uh, verse 23. There, and we're picking up in this prayer meeting where they're essentially praying for battlefield boldness. What I want to do for you today is I want to answer three questions for you. I want to answer why did they get together to pray together? And then I want to ask, answer how did they actually pray when they got together? And then lastly, I want to show you what the result of their prayers was and what we can do with that today. So why did they pray together? Let's turn to Acts 4.23. It says, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When who was released? Well, Peter and John. You see, uh, if you'll turn back, you'll, you might recall last week, David preached from Acts chapter 3. And remember, the lame beggar was healed. And then from there, uh, the, the crowd saw that this man, who was 40 years, 45 years old, I believe, had been, had, was now walking. And, and, and suddenly they had an opportunity and Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. And he begins to tell them that Jesus Christ was, was born and, and lived his life, proved he was God, and then was crucified and then rose from the dead and, and calls them to repent. And many turn to, to, to Christ as a result of that. And then we get down into chapter 4 and we see Peter and John now suddenly being brought before the authorities. You see, the authorities, the same ones that had crucified Jesus, were upset about this. You, you remember, they were upset when Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, when he was claiming to be the anointed one, when he was claiming to be God, that he was, that he was the one that could forgive sins. When Jesus claimed that, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he claimed to be the only way back to God. And so, all of a sudden, the rulers are upset with this. This is upsetting their equilibrium again. It's upsetting their power again. Here, they thought they had crucified Jesus. And here these guys are now saying, when they say, hey, by what power did you do this? In Acts chapter 4, verse 7, they say, verse 8, they said, well, actually, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, then begins to say, all right? So when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden he's able to speak boldly. And he says to them, rulers and the people, we are being examined today 
for what we've done with this man, but it wasn't us. It was Jesus, the one you crucified. It was Jesus and His power that raised this man. And then here's what just really got them. When he, when he goes in, he says in verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the thing in our society today that is going to create opposition every time. There is one way. Every other religion allows for tolerance to say, well, you know, you can come through, yeah, study, study Buddhism, study uh, Islam, study all of these different Hinduism. But you know what? If you choose another way and go back to God, that's okay. We'll all get there. You know what? That sounds good. It sounds loving and it sounds right. But what matters most is what does God's word have to say to us? What does God, the creator of the universe who wrote down his words, he is the authority and he has proven that he is sovereign as we'll see here. So why did they pray together? Why did they pray together? Because they had been given an overwhelming task. So they come together, it says when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders what they had said to them. So they were coming back and they were reporting back what had been said but why were they praying together because what had jesus said to them before he left go make disciples of all nations of all nations we're just this little group of uncommon men ordinary men and women uneducated we live in a village we've traveled around the villages here but ultimately we're just village people not YMCA village people, but, you know, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, go make disciples of all nations. That's just an overwhelming task. In Acts 1.8, he goes and he talks about that you will be my witnesses, all of you, you. I'm talking to you even here. Jesus is talking to you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. That seems impossible. But not only was it an overwhelming task, it was given to ordinary common people. These were not the, the educated men. These were ordinary, average. In fact, most of, in the, of us in this room are probably more educated. My, uh, my son Jacob might be more educated than some of these disciples. I mean, think about it. Think about the irony behind those that just want to say that you can't preach or you can't teach or you can't... You can't um, be a Christian and, and share the gospel if you don't have all these degrees and seminary degrees. Think about that. These very men that are saying that, who did they study? They studied the writings of men who didn't have those degrees and had very little education. But look at what they, look at verse 13. When these men who were the rulers saw, in verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so there again we see this idea of boldness. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was this boldness to, to speak, even though they had been arrested, they had been in jail overnight, and they knew what had those guys done to Jesus before. For speaking boldly and speaking about that there is one way, what had they done to Jesus? They had taken him, they had arrested him, they had torn the flesh off of him, they had put him on a cross to kill him. They knew that this could happen to them, and yet they were willing to speak. 
But guess what these people saw in, in Peter and John? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, uncommon or common men, they were astonished. Some of those words there that they're using are the derivatives that we use now to come up with the word idiots. Seriously. They didn't see anything special about these men. They were uncommon, ordinary men that had very little education at all. They were fishermen, you know, and all these different um, trades. And yet, what was the difference? They recognized that they had been with Jesus, it says. When you spend time with Jesus... When you get to know your Savior, when you are in a prayerful relationship where we are talking with Him and you're examining His Word and pouring through it and beginning to understand it, people begin to see you in a different light. I'll tell you about my father. I didn't have this plan, but my father has always been such a good man. Great man, great father, uh, just a loving guy. Everybody loves him. And uh, all my life I grew up with him and as, as a child, we always went to church. He was, he was there every week. But I, I wouldn't say that he was just a, 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 a guy that was on fire for Jesus at all. I would say he was, he was a very good moral man. And um, great father to, to have tr been trained up in. But at the same time, when we eventually um, began to get on fire for Jesus, and when we began to feel like the Lord was calling us overseas and, and to go and to share the gospel overseas, my dad began to, something began to change in him. And he began to just, begin to really delve into the word on his own. And, and he's always been a man that works with his hands. Um, you know, he's, he's a great man. He's got uh, good, good moral things to say. But I wouldn't have called him just a, a highly intelligent man. He was, if he was working with something and trying to figure out how to fix a car or fix a machine, he was highly intelligent. But in book smarts, he wasn't. But when he began to get on fire for the Lord, I'm telling you, I began to see such wisdom from him. I, I hear things from him now, and I think, that came from my dad. That, that's, that's something of, of God. And I, and I saw one time he wrote a letter to somebody, a pastor, and I, and I saw the letter, and I thought, Mom must have written that. And she said, no, that was your dad. I mean, it's, it, it, Proverbs talks about wisdom comes from the Lord. And, and, and these men... They were recognized as just astonishing. They were astonishing because they had been with Jesus. They were ordinary people just like us. So why did they pray together? Because it was an overwhelming task given to ordinary common people. It's overwhelming to think that we need to reach Goose Creek. But our, just, our, our command is greater than that. Even to see that all peoples of this earth come to see have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Seems impossible. But God can do it through us. And so why did they pray together? They also, because it was modeled as normal. What did Jesus do in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6? He taught him how to pray. He taught him how to pray. He then, we see when opposition came and he was getting ready to go to the cross, he's there at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, He's in consternation because he knows he's getting ready to go die. What does he do? He goes and teaches them, let's pray. Let's spend time with our Father. I may, he wanted to get out of that, but yet he wanted to be faithful to the Father. So he, had, he prayed for boldness to go and do God's will. And then we see in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 14, we see that 
you know, after Jesus left, they're all like, what are we going to do? You know, he just gave us this massive goal to go and, you know, be witnesses to all the ends of the earth. What do they do? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and the brothers. It was just all the people. It wasn't just the important people. It was just the people all together, families, brothers and sisters, families getting together. Let's request of the Lord. Then we see we've, taught, we've learned from Acts 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves after, the, after 3,000 came to the Lord and then they began to, to meet together. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the word and to fellowship, to getting together as the body. And what did they do in fellowship? They ate together, they practiced the Lord's Supper together, and they prayed together. That's what they did. That's what it mainly consisted of. Okay? So it was just normal. It was just normal. We even see uh, when, uh, what was it, when Peter, uh, James was killed, and then I, I think it's Acts 12, and then Peter uh, is, is arrested, and God shakes the earth, and the, and the prison doors open up, and he goes out, and he goes to go find some of his friends. And what are they doing? They're all together, and they're praying. It's just normal for Christians that follow Jesus to do that. And then lastly, why did they pray? Because there was a threat before them. The needed boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. The threat was there. The threat was that they might be arrested. They might be killed as a result of that. They needed boldness not to shrink back, but to continue to share. You, you see in Acts 4, uh, down in verse 20, the famous verse here, but they, they, they basically said, that the, the leaders said, hey, okay, all right, this is causing a big problem, you know, um, you know, it might even cause a riot. You know, probably the best thing to do is just get him to shut up. And so he, so he says, in, and they, they say in Acts uh, 4.19, you know, in, in 4.18, so they called him and charged him, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. You know, talk about other things. You can even teach the Bible. Just don't talk about Jesus. Right? And what do they say? Well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, Rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. Wow. They were bold, knowing in the face of death that they were going to keep speaking about Jesus and the fact that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So how did they pray together? Well, look with me in uh, Acts uh, 4.24 here. And when they heard it, and they, when they heard what had happened, and, and were, Peter and John had reported all that had happened, when they heard it, what did they do? They lifted their voices to God together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So verse 23, how did they pray together? They came together as friends. This wasn't just the 
hey, we're going to hold a church meeting and we're going to better get it together. It's just friends came together. Hey, we got to pray. We got to pray. This is important, right? And then what do they do in verse 24? They recognize God is sovereign. They recognize that God is a supreme power. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing took him by surprise. God is in control. You are the one that we submit to, God. You are our authority. So we're going to look to you. What do they do? They look to his word for guidance. How do we know that? Because they, they say in verse 25 that, you know, that he was through the mouth of our father David, your servant. You see, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament right at that time. So that was the scriptures they had. So they were looking to say, what does the scripture say? What did David say about this? They're looking to the word as their authority for their guidance. And then what do they do? They acknowledge that God's plan includes us receiving opposition. Right? That from the passage in the, from the Old Testament, that by your Holy Spirit, uh, that, I mean, he said that David, by the Holy Spirit, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against who? The Lord and his anointed, Jesus Christ, right? And he goes on to talk about this same thing happened when Herod and Pontius Pilate did the same thing to Jesus, right? And it was because he was speaking, I am the Lord. So how did they pray together? They looked to word, his word for guidance. They acknowledged that God's plan includes opposition against us. And then what do they do in verse 29? They ask the Lord for boldness to obey. To do what? To go do good deeds? No. To proclaim the gospel in spite of the threats. And in the process, do good deeds. And then, lastly, they ask that God, in verse 30, would confirm their message by and for the name of Jesus. So, we should do the same. So, what was the result of their prayer? See there in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, the first, we see the place was shaken. The whole house was shaken where they were at. This is significant because God is saying, listen, I'm responding to what you just said. <laughs> you asked for confirmation. This is confirmation. Now, does that mean he's going to shake your house every time you pray? No, not necessarily. But what it does say is he can do whatever he wants. And you know what? The houses and the people that we want to go to and share the gospel with, we always talk about how hard and how difficult Goose Creek is. We talk about how hard Muslim peoples are, and Hindu peoples, and Buddhist peoples. You know what? Why? Because we are hard. We are sinful. We are rebellious. And, and, and our eyes are blinded from seeing the gospel. But what does 2 Corinthians 4 say? That we, 2 Corinthians 4 says that, that we have to see the, the, the glory of God in the face of who? In the face of Jesus Christ. Right? So we are the ones tasked with bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to them so that now they can begin to see the glory of God in, in its fullness. And what God is essentially, what you can take away from this is, listen, God can shake them. 
He can shake them to the point where they begin to receive that message. And guess what? God can shake you to a point where you become bold and willing to share the gospel. And secondly, we see that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the place was shaken. And then what was also the result? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, every one of us who has received Christ, every one of us has the Holy Spirit in us. When we repented and believed that Jesus Christ died for us and rose again, the Holy Spirit came into us and God came to live within us, to be our helper, to be our guide, to direct us. But if you think about the old adage that if you have a cup and you have a little bit of something in it, but then you put a whole lot of something else in it, it can't get full with a little bit of the good stuff, right? But if you begin to empty it of the bad stuff, now you can begin to, to pour in the other good stuff. What, what God wants to do with us is to fill us with His Holy Spirit to an overflowing amount so that when we're submitted to Him, when we're in tune with Him, when we're praying to Him, He begins to fill us to such a point where it's like them, where we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Right? There is a joy that comes from that. And it's not a joy from you. It's a joy that's coming from the, the, the Christ in you. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in our, uh, in our missional community. What does it mean to abide in His love? John 15 talks about abiding in Him, but it also talks about abiding in His love. We talked about how it means to, to be reminded, remind ourselves, remind one another of what our identity is. As a believer in Christ, how He has made us new. We've been made new. We've been saved. We've been made righteous and holy. When I know there's nothing righteous or holy about me. But yet, He has made me new. And as a result of that, I am able to abide in His love. And it becomes an overflowing uh, love that is not natural. It's supernatural. And it comes out of me. Just like it did with Peter and John. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to ask Him for that to happen. And then, lastly, a result was that they continued to speak the Word of God, the Gospel, with boldness. In other words, they didn't hope for boldness. They didn't talk about wanting to be bold. They didn't plan for being bold. And they didn't pretend to be bold by doing good deeds alone and hoping that God would send somebody else to actually share the good news. No, they spoke the Gospel with boldness from God. Now, we might... If we think about uh, Peter's response to, to, to them, kind of as we're sort of concluding here, we might sum up Peter's response in this way. Peter basically said to the leaders there, all right, there's three things you need to know, guys. Like, first, Jesus is the source of power that's accomplished this man's healing. Just so you know, this is Jesus, this isn't us, right? And the second, he says, oh, and by the way, you're the ones that rejected you crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And by the way, oh, by the way, this was foretold hundreds of years ago, so you kind of were the pawn that was played in this, you know. Uh, God knew what he was doing. God was in control. Uh, God predicted this. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and you were a part of that. And third, the one you rejected is the only one through whom you must be saved. He is the only way to heaven. That's what he's saying. 
I want to tell you a quick story about a group of believers um, I had the privilege of knowing in China. It wasn't the place we lived, but it was one of our places of ministry. And um, we didn't lead them to the Lord. We came across them. I'd actually come across a story about them uh, previous years before. And they were just faithful, uh, faithful husband and wife who just got on fire for the Lord. And somebody had led them to the Lord. And they began to say, we've got to share this with other people. And one of the ways that they ended up having the opportunity, they didn't plan it this way, was, you know, child, uh, China had the one-child policy. And so we often had brothers and sisters in Christ that, that said, we, we, we don't want to abort our babies, but yet they were required to. And oftentimes we would, have, we would help them and kind of shelter them to keep them hidden away so that they could have second or third four, chi- four children as they got pregnant. Um, to save the babies, but and sometimes it just didn't happen. Sometimes uh, on the day uh, as they went in to, to have the baby, uh, they would take the baby and they would take it away and, and kill it right there. Um, the government would, but um, this, this couple was just adamant and spoke out clearly that this is not of God. And any, to anything that would be against the government would be obviously um, uh, tamped down. And so they actually... Um, went through a lot of persecution as a result of this, but this husband and wife would not stop speaking about Christ and saying that Jesus is the only way. And so then what ended up happening is they ended up having their children, and, and so they were highly watched, and they just continued to speak boldly, and they had a little church of believers that met together. And then one day, the government finally said, Listen, if you won't stop speaking about this, then we're going to take you in. And they said, simply, we're not going to. And so they took them away at that moment in time. They took them away, didn't allow them to see their kids, didn't allow them to really tell anybody about what was going on. And they took them away, and they were gone for years. And the wife eventually kind of became a little bit uh, mentally unstable because she was just so grieved by, by this to the point where they actually let her out at some point. But the husband eventually seven years later, was able to finally get out of prison. And the day they walked him out of prison, they said, okay, we're finally letting you out now. And they said, on one condition. You will not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. You can, in fact, you have a church, you can go, you can, you can preach, you can teach from the Word of God, but do not tell them the gospel that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Because, hey, the government is number one. And you know what that man did? He went out, and instead of going straight to his church and straight to his family, he went out and began to proclaim the gospel. But just like this, at that, for, for whatever reason, God had his hand on this situation. And this man was able to actually continue. And some of the local churches and the government-sanctioned churches around there began to say, okay, we'll just kind of let him do his thing. Surely nothing will happen from this. You know what? It wasn't like 5,000 believers came to Christ, but I'll tell you, it was the healthiest church I ever saw. I began to actually uh, train them some and help them out some, and every time I would go, it was always amazing. They just had a house. They had a sort of a house that they, they did church out of, and, and every time I went, there was just lots going on. I would, I would come in, and they would be, uh, I would just sit down, and they'd, they'd just all of a sudden start feeding me. And, and I mean... It didn't matter what day I showed up. It didn't matter what time I showed up. It was just food. It was just food happened. And everybody was eating together. And then we would pray together. 
We'd get down on our knees together. And upstairs, I could hear things going on because they would be, there would be a group of old ladies that was up there, and they were training each other, just practicing how do we share the gospel. And some of them would be sometimes just practicing how to share the gospel in the other local languages and teaching and, and making up songs that they could take to other villages that would help them to proclaim the gospel. They had gospel words throughout. Constantly, and I began to ask them, "How is it that there's always food here?" And they said, "I don't know." And I said, "What do you mean by that?" And they said, "Like, I don't know. Like, ever since we got out of prison, we just show up here every day, and there's just people always making food. We never take money to 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 have money brought in to buy food. Food just shows up. I mean, obviously, people were bringing it." But it was just the church was all sharing things in common. And they were just all about, listen, we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we've seen what happens when his servants are bold to proclaim the gospel. Jesus wins. Satan loses. We are on the winning team. And that same God lives in you and I. But I want you to see something here. These people, <laughs> these people were just ordinary people. Common, uneducated. Um, many, like had, couldn't read at all. But they were constantly sharing the gospel. If the band would go ahead and come up, I just want you to think about our modern day time. The gospel confronts. Today, to say that there is only one God, one way to God, it's the clincher that in this culture makes you intolerant. And in some cases, is now considered hate speech. Even in the past few me- weeks, it might even be that they would say, you're inciting violence. This is what, this is the same thing that was happening here. When When he said in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, it's the same issue today. And yet so often we shrink back and determine that if if speaking the gospel causes opposition or hate against us, well, it must be wrong. I'm going to tell you, we have to be loving. We have to be caring in our approach. We can't be prideful in our approach. But I'm going to tell you that the most loving thing that you can ever do is share with somebody who is headed to an eternity in hell that Jesus loves them. And as a result, I love you. You, you know, I love you too. Jesus loves you and provided you a way that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. This is God's part of, of his plan is for you and I ordinary men, women, and children to speak the gospel boldly and for opposition to come against you. Listen, what did I just say? This is God's plan that you will speak boldly and that opposition will come against you so that some will hear, see, and believe. Remember, battlefield boldness is not natural. It's supernatural. So let's commit to pray individually and collectively, that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and emboldened to proclaim the gospel every day.
So I just want to, David's going to be at the back, um, and uh, I'll be back there as well. I want you to think about a decision you need to make today. Uh, if you've never made a decision to, to follow Christ and be baptized, I just want to encourage you to begin to, to, to go and say, David, I need to make that decision. Help me walk through that process. You see, Jesus, God sent his son Jesus for you, for me. But if we don't receive that, if we don't repent and turn back and follow him and say, Jesus, I now see you're worth it. You died for me. You rose again from the dead. I want to follow you. If we don't make him his king, our king, then we're still living headed towards an eternity in hell. There is only one way back to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never stepped into the battlefield, I'm asking you, go to David. Say, David, I want to be involved. I want to be involved in a missional community. I want to be involved in the gospel conversations training. I'm not comfortable with that. I'd rather you just come to my house and do a gospel conversation. I don't care. I want to step onto the battlefield. And by the way, it's scary. I want boldness to come from God because I can't, I can't conjure it up. And if you're growing here at Creekside and are already engaged in the battlefield but need further boldness, I pray you just go make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to start going out with you. I'm going to start going out with you and learning from you, but I'm committing to pray that God would make me bold. So make a, make a commitment today and don't delay. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful to you once again for your goodness, for your love, for your grace, for the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. But Lord, you didn't just leave us. You also gave us your Holy Spirit gave us your Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us into truth, to prove to us that you are real, you are living within us. But it didn't just stop there, Lord. You created a plan, a plan to reach the world for Christ, a plan to show your glory. And you had no backup plan plan included idiots like me. The plan included people like me that don't have the skill to do so and can't even fathom how it might even begin begin to, to reach the ends of the earth. So God, I just implore you, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us. We need your Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of this church. God, we need your Holy Spirit to go before us to all the places of Goose Creek. We need your Holy Spirit to go to the Myers Road area, to Devon Forest area. We need your Holy Spirit to begin to prick the hearts of people who are hard, who don't want to hear the gospel. We need your boldness to preach, to speak, to proclaim, to simply say, gospel is that Jesus is the good news that God loves you and has provided a way for salvation. 
I, we know that we've studied this aspect of needing to be to f- go find persons of peace, but yet, Lord, we're oftentimes not persons of peace ourselves. The gospel should be emanating, just protruding from our homes. We should be inviting our neighbors in and saying, I want to show you my love. I want to invite you for meals. I want to be uncommon, out of the ordinary. People to think I'm crazy, but I want them to know that when they need spiritual advice, when they need prayer, they know they can come to my house. Not because I'm something, but because Jesus is something. Because Jesus is worthy. Because Jesus is powerful. God, give us that kind of boldness individually, but also as a church, Lord, we want to see your name proclaimed. We want to see every man, woman, and child in this place, in Goose Creek, in the United States, and to every people and nation and tribe and tongue of this world to know and respond to you. We want you to return. You say in Matthew 24, 14, that when all have heard, when all peoples and places have come to know you, that there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that have responded to you, that then you will come, the end will come. So we pray that that would hurry, but we pray that we would be a part of that. Not because we have anything to bring to the table, but because you will do something amazing in us. You will fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. God in us, if we are willing, if we are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray.